All right, well, good morning. Hey, it's great to be here with you guys this morning. Always good to be uh, together. Fall is here, right? The, uh, the colors on the trees uh, are changing. Some of the leaves are starting to fall. Uh, and, uh, you know, COVID, you know, obviously with all of its implications, you know, NFL is restarting, uh, basketball is winding up, college now is starting to do some things, uh, and, and I know you guys are all most excited about this, Major League Baseball playoffs start Wednesday, Club, the Cubs just clinched, so man, this is my favorite time of year. I just, I love this time, I love the weather, I don't know how short or long it is here, but I am just excited that it is... Here, you know, and also, you know, kind of COVID notwithstanding, this is a, a time of year when when sickness uh, and colds become uh, a thing. And so, uh, I just wanted to say thank you to you guys for extending uh, myself grace, and I want to say thank you to Kent publicly for stepping in for me last week. Um, I would have loved to be here uh, as it is. It would not have been pretty. Caught that pretty quick, pretty hard, and it went away fast. And so, uh, but excited to be here uh, this morning. So, uh, how many of you guys have ever heard, and I'm guessing that the number is going to be very few, how many of you guys have ever heard of a card game called Mao? See, very, very few. Okay, this is crazy. So this is a game, I, by the way, I don't recommend this game. Um, I started playing this in college with some buddies, and I still, here's the deal. A ga- uh, Mao is a game where only the Mao master knows the rules of the game. So as you're playing, you don't know the rules. And so part of the, I mean, the goal of the game is to get rid of all of your cards. But, but it's hard to do when you don't know the rules. And so I remember starting to play this game, and I was like, well, tell me how it works. They're like, you'll figure it out as you go. <laughs> Wink, that's the fun part. Because you start to play, and I play a card, and they're like, I'm like, what card do I play? They're like, just play a card. And I'm like, oh, I'll play a card. They're like, ooh, bad choice. Draw 10 cards. And you're like, what? Draw 10? You know, and so you're, you're trying to figure out the whole time, what do I do, how does this work? And eventually, I just randomly pick a card, and the Mao Master goes, ooh, Seth, nice play. And I'm like, oh, okay, so maybe I need to play sevens. Next time I play seven, ooh, Seth, draw ten. And I still, I have no idea how to play this game. And it's infuriating, it's hard, it's difficult to play a game or to even participate in a game when you don't understand how it works. Right? You need to know the rules. We're in week three of this new series called On the Mount. Right? And, and this, is a, this is a series where we're looking at Jesus, and Jesus is taking this deep dive into the human heart. And, and this morning, he's going to start to address some really taboo topics that, that we would probably honestly just go, oh, Jesus, I, I don't really want to talk about that. That's, this is one of those areas that I just I don't want to keep, you know, like with the COVID poll. You know, six feet away at the minimum, like, let's just not talk about it. And yet, we need to public, publicly recognize and acknowledge that when it comes to the topic this morning, the struggle is very real. And we're talking about lust. And so, what, what, what lies beneath the surface in our hearts and in our lives is really incredibly important to Jesus and how he wants us to live. You see, Jesus is establishing his, this is how to play the game. This is how to participate 
in the kingdom. Now we know first and foremost that, that Jesus is the solution to mankind's deepest, most darkest, most fundamental problem, and that is our sin. And not just our sin, it's the sinful nature that is inside of us that that sin stems from. And so we can rejoice, we can look at Jesus and go, as we look at Jesus on the cross and we picture him there as he dies and as he eventually comes off, he's buried for three days, he rises and again and we go, praise Jesus that grace and forgiveness are real things in the world that we live live in, and yet we know that Jesus is not just the solution, he's also the model for us to follow. And Jesus envisions these new attitudes for his followers, these attitudes or these behaviors that are designed for us to flourish in his kingdom in a way that, that not only is just powerful internally for us, but also a flourishing that, that, that leads into the world that we live in and where Jesus said several weeks ago that I want you to be a salt and a light to the earth. And so if, if we live in these flourishing attitudes, the world will see that we are not of ourselves, but that we are of Christ. And that's what we are called to. And, and yet, and Jesus is doing this in a way that he's bringing the kingdom of heaven ultimately to earth, right? So many times we, we, look at, we look at the Bible and we go, man, I just can't wait for heaven. I'm just kind of buying my time until I get to heaven when all of this is done and all of this is over. And yet Jesus says, hey, in the meantime, I'm going to bring that to you. And I want you to participate in what I want to do, not just then, but what I want to do right now and right here on this earth. And he brings this new established kingdom to a world that is going in so many different directions. Right? There's the political direction. There's the COVID direction. There's the injustice direction. There's so many different directions that we could choose from in today's world to try and find a solution to what's going on. And yet, there is only one place that we know we can find an answer. There's only one way, and that's the Jesus way. And so as we look to Jesus this morning, we remember that. I love this quote from N.T. Wright. It says, throughout this chapter, he's talking about chapter 5 in Matthew. He says, Jesus is not giving all new moral commands. He's unveiling a whole new way of being human. No wonder it looks strange. This is what I love because you get the backwards bicycle, right? No wonder this feels backwards. This feels strange, but... Jesus himself, he pioneered it, and he invites us to follow. And so this morning, we are gonna, we're going to look as we begin to see Jesus go into some deeper things. And, and we've mentioned this last, this last week, and, and Pastor Kent brought this up, and I want to switch to something new, kind of a new form of teaching here. I want to switch to my iPad here for a second and do some drawing. Okay, so here's, the, here's what Jesus is doing, right? He's establishing what's called his halakha. And you're like, what is that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put these little vowel notes underneath there because it's really important because if you remember a couple weeks ago we said, uh, we looked at Jesus' very own words and he said that not the smallest stroke of the pen will be left unfulfilled. Right, so even these small little things right here, these matter to Jesus. And so when Jesus is establishing this halakha, we've got to look at the first word, which is halak. Now, halak means to walk. 
in Hebrew. It just means to walk, but it ultimately refers to my entire way of life or my moral or ethic in the way that I, I get up in the morning, the way that I walk, the way that I sit, the way that I work, the way that I study, the way that I learn, the way that I participate in family, the way that I brush my teeth, the way that I order Starbucks. All of that is included in walking. And so when Jesus establishes his halakha, really this is, is Jesus' interpretation of the law. So you go all the way back to Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy, whichever. You have all of these laws, and Jesus says that I have a specific view of what the law is and how it's designed to help you walk life. And so halakha really means the path, or kind of loosely translated, the path that one walks, but I'm going to say this, according to the law. Okay, And the law is designed, and so Jesus, and this is the pattern that we see with Jesus. He says, that you have heard it said, but I say to you. This is where he's establishing his halakha. Like, it's not just the law. This is my interpretation of the law. And so what Jesus is doing is he's inviting these people to relearn, his disciples on the mountain to relearn how to ride the bike. And it's going to feel backwards, and it's going to feel challenging at times. But he says, this is what I want you to learn. And, and there are times when it is frustrating, it is hard, it is difficult, it is challenging. And today, he's going to go a little bit deeper, because he's going to open up some doors into some of those areas and rooms in our hearts that we would rather leave closed. And so when we talk about lust this morning, it's important for us to say this, like, like we all struggle with this. And it doesn't matter if we're married or if we're single, if we're male or if we are female, if we're just entering into puberty or we're 50 years removed from that. This is not just my problem, this is our problem, that lust is an issue in our hearts, especially in our culture. And we react to this a little bit because we are culturally conditioned against the idea of sex and against the idea of lust. But the reality is, is that it is everywhere. It's on the TVs. It's so, it's so prevalent. I mean, if you just look at Netflix, I mean, I'm amazed at how much Netflix has changed in the last year and a half. As I begin to scroll through shows, I begin, man, when, when in the world did this become okay? And Netflix has almost become this soft pornography website because there are shows on there that you can watch and go, wow, this never ever was this way before. And yet this is the world that we live in. And so, so here's the deal. I'm going I'm to just do a marker here. See, society has set the bar. This is the bar, okay? The bar for sexual conduct. Oh, let's go back to the iPad. That little pink thing at the bottom, that's the bar that society has set. It's pretty low, right? Open relationships, right? Any two consenting adults, I would say adults actually, but it's really any two consenting individuals. And that's the world that we live in. It's okay because it doesn't harm Anybody doesn't harm anything as long as this, right? As long as you say that this is okay. So the bar is set really, really low. But then we look in our text this morning in Matthew chapter 5. Here's what it says in verse 27, right? If you see this pattern, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. 
right? That's the, that's the old bar. So if you go back in Judaism standards, we go back to our iPad here, this is the new bar that, that, uh, that Judaism followed or that the Hebrews followed in the New Testament, right? Just do not commit adultery, which, which is a higher standard and a higher bar than the culture that we live in. And adultery is when we exit out of a marriage covenant. Now, ultimately, it's between us and God, right? But, but here on earth, it's, a, it's about man and woman. And the way that when, when I choose to be sexually unfaithful and to exit out of that covenant relationship. And adultery is very, very powerful. And so this bar is set here for a reason. Check out this slide. Uh, just the way that we walk through this, um, adultery is a turning away from a promise. It's turning away from a covenantal promise between us and our spouse. The second thing is that it leads one from security into chaos. Next one. It's secretive and it's dishonest. Keep going. It destroys the adulterer. It damages society. And the last one, it hurts children. And we don't have time to go into all those because we want to get into some other things this morning. But here's what I want to say is that so oftentimes we think that our sin is our own and that it only affects us. But, but in reality, it actually affects everything around us, and it has these ripple effects. I love this in Proverbs. It says this. This is fun. Uh, from, from 627, you can catch the imagery here. Can you build a fire in your lap and not burn your pants? I'm not going to go into that, but you can read into it however you'd like. There's some imagery here. Can you light a fire and not get burned? If I were to take a candle and light a candle or a piece of paper or a log or whatever it is and and make it a flame and hold it by my chest and walk with it, I am going to get burned. There are damaging consequences. And if I'm on fire and if I go and if I'm with other people, guess what? Other people catch on fire, right? And so Jesus... Look at this. Jesus takes it this next step in in the very next verse, right? So you move to verse 28. Here's what Jesus says, right? Because he said, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman or man with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his Heart. Let's go back to the iPad here for a second just to draw this out because this is, this is significant, right? So you've got this bar down here. That's culture's, that's culture's standard. Here's the former standard, right? That's where the bar was set. Just don't commit adultery. You know where Jesus is? It's up here. He says it's so far removed from those bars. He goes straight to the heart. And what Jesus says would be absolutely shocking to the people, to these disciples who are listening to him on the mountain. You remember all these people are gathered around him, and I'm sure that the eyes would have gone wide, the jaws would have dropped. Some people do this. Oh, gee, oh, look at the ground. Some people are are caught probably in the very act because given the nature of the crowd, this, large, this is a large enough crowd, I'm guessing that Jesus, as he says these things, catches someone there even in the act. Somebody's probably checking out another person's spouse. Oh, I wonder 
what they look like without clothes. Jesus says, anyone who, wait, what? This is, the, this is what Jesus is calling out. Now, in our text, the word, look at the word lust. I want to look at this. So when Jesus talks about lust, here's what he's talking about. He's talking about uncontrolled sexual desire. That's how this is translated uh, in, in this passage. It's uncontrolled sexual desire. But here's what I want you to, I want you to notice, because I think this is really important. Notice that it doesn't say this. Notice that it doesn't say that lust is a sexual desire. Because we are designed for this. Sexual desire is not a sin. This is how we are wired. Right? There are normal feelings and associations that go through this. But that's why the adverb is so important, because lust is about uncontrolled, uncontrollable sexual desire. And maybe you're, maybe you're the person, you know, the, the bulk of society really deals with this issue of lust, and maybe that's not you. And so you're like, I've been listening up until now, um, but maybe sexual attraction isn't my thing. Here's what I want you to check out. Check out this verse, <coughs> excuse me, in Mark chapter 4. Because the word here, these, these desires, right? These desires is the same word that's translated in, in our passage. And so if you remember from, from Jesus as he's talking about the parable of the soils, he says this, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires, that's the word lust, the lust for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. And so this word can actually be translated as a, a kind of a wider range of semantic abilities. So if you go, man, like lust, sexual attraction, uncontrollable sexual attraction, that's not my thing. Just know that lots of what we talk about here this morning can generally be applied to the lust for all sorts of things. The lust of other things. And so really there's nobody in this room that's, that's left out in this. And so here's, I don't know, I just want to stop here for a second and just, go, just say this. And you don't need to answer this, but does anybody else in here find Jesus' words refreshingly honest. Because Jesus is naming some things in our hearts that we know are there and we are fearful to name. We don't want to talk about those, and yet we see that. And we go, okay, Jesus, I'm just thankful that you're telling me the truth. You love me enough to tell me the truth. And so these things are refreshingly honest. But at the same time, the other side is that they sting. They hurt. They are, they are hurtful to us. Because we have this tendency, I think, to talk about adultery, as did his followers. We talk about them in black and white terms because we see our sin in black and white terms. Really what we're saying is that as long as I don't commit adultery in its physical act, then I am okay. As long as I don't do that. Head back to our, our iPad here for a second. Because here's the deal, I think that we are okay oftentimes, especially in American culture, we are, and even myself sometimes, right, like this is past and part of my story, is that, that we are okay to live in the gray. That between the black and the white, there's this area that we go, okay, that's not really what Jesus is talking about, and there's this box in here that we are okay with. And we're okay to live in that space because it's a space that we are comfortable it's a space that is our normal rhythms with Netflix and, and other things in my life and the apps on my phone and, and all these types of things. 
Like, we are okay with these things. And so, in fact, like, what we'll oftentimes do is that we'll, if we're not okay, we'll create these different boundaries for sin, right? And so, so maybe it's like, as long as I don't commit adultery, right? Or, or maybe it's as long as I don't look at pornography. Maybe that's a tear for sin. Or maybe it's a, as long as I don't watch Game of Thrones, or maybe it's, I don't watch Netflix at all. There's all these bars or standards that we have, but we live in this box, this gray area that we are okay with. And what Jesus is saying is that at the heart level, every single one of us are the same. Because the act to commit adultery, this act right here, is the same act at every single level as it's related to my heart motive, which stems from lust. An uncontrolled sexual desire. It's the lust of the heart. And guys, here's what I want us to hear this morning. That's what I want to hear this morning. When it comes to sin, this big idea, back to our slide, when it comes to sin, living in the gray is not okay. You see the, the play on words there? Living in the gray is not okay, right? Jesus is, uh, is the solution to our sin, right? And there's grace and forgiveness in, in all of this, and we rejoice because that's my identity. That's who I am. And yet, God says, though, what Jesus says, like, I have a way in which I want you to walk, and I don't want it to be in the gray. I want you to flee from the darkness. I want you to flee from that, and I want you to flee to the light, here, let's go back to, our, to the drawing board here because I want to try something else here. And if you're like, okay, I want, I want to just follow this uh, in a different way. Uh, actually, you know what? No, let's take it back. Let's go back to our slides, and I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Here's what it says. It says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are, are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Next slide. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach is meant for food, right? That's the way that God designed them. They are, they are equitable, and they work together. And yet, God will destroy both one and the other, right? Stomach and food, right? They will eventually be nothing. The body is not meant for sexuality, for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, excuse me, and the Lord and the body. And then he says, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power, right? He goes on to talk about this idea of, of prostitution, right? He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Next one. Here's he says, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. You're like, Seth, what in the world does that have to do with this? Come back to the drawing board here for a second. If that's true, when I join my body to another person, the two become one flesh. And so if prostitution enters into those relationships, now my body is becoming one flesh with more than one person. And so I want you to just gather this here for a second. Um, and maybe this will be helpful for you. Okay, I'm going to draw, this is the marriage bed. I'm doing it in pink because it represents love. That was meant to be cheesy. In this bed, you have two people. You have a man and a woman. Okay, what happens 
if this person right here starts thinking about all these other women and it's in his head, he's bringing that into the marriage bed. He's like, I didn't commit adultery. I didn't do that. I didn't do that act with anybody, but it's up here. And she says, if I even look at a woman lustfully, I've already committed adultery. And so in some sense, in my mind, I'm becoming one flesh. Even though that's not necessarily entirely true, but, but it's in my mind. And so then it, it gets even more complicated because, because women, right? This is a growing industry. It's women in the, in the issue of pornography and everything that they're looking at too, right? And so then all of a sudden we look at this marriage bed and we go, that, this adultery didn't necessarily happen in reality, but it does happen in the heart. Do you see the danger of this and what we're bringing into our rooms, into the, into the very sacred marriage bed? This is what, in some sense, it sometimes feels like. And if we come back to come back to this, we go like, hey man, like this is like, why are we talking about this? Like this is why we don't have kids in the room, right? Or if there are kids in the room, we go like, why are, are we, we're scared about this. Did you know that the average age, and this is a high average age, because I've heard as low as five and as high as 12, is the average age in which kids are introduced to pornography. Usually it's around eight or nine. And we go, ah, whoa, this is the world that we live in. I have some statistics here, and I didn't put them on the screen because I don't want these to be the focus this morning, but I want you just to sit and listen to these for a moment. Did you know that one in every four or five, research is divided, one in every four or five mobile searches is pornographic related? 25%, and when you see people doing this and doing mobile searches, 25, one out of four, is somebody looking at pornographic material. That's crazy to me. Did you know, this still baffles me, porn sites, pornographic sites get more more visits in a given month or a given year than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. Do you know how often people watch Netflix? Do you know how often people are using Twitter? Do you know how often people are, are using Amazon? It's a ton, and yet it gets more than all of those combined. There are 42 million pornographic websites. And to put it into reality, every second, there are 28,000 people watching porn. 20,000, 28,000, 28,000. It's just everywhere. This is the world that we live in. In fact, if we want to connect this to past week and the idea of anger, 88% of scenes in pornography films are connected to an act of aggression. Whether it's verbal or physical, somehow lust can be tied to anger. And and, and those who watch it then get this this skewed vision or, or version of what sex is meant to be. We move into the teenagers, 90% of teens and 96% of young adults are accepting when they talk about porn with their peers. Ah, yeah, it's fine, whatever, no big deal. 71% of of teens hide their online behavior from their parents. And you're like, oh crud, I thought we had this conversation. (laughs) 
64% of young people ages 13 to 24 seek out porn on a weekly basis over and over and over and over. And it's easy for us to look at this and go, okay, this is a teenage problem. Wrong. The largest consumer group of online porn is men between the ages of 35 and 49. But also one-third of all internet porn use is women. And this one, is, this one is also baffling to me. 56%, so over half, of people in a marriage relationship say that one member in their marriage is unhealthily connected to an obsession with pornography. Over half, mar- half of the marriages in the U.S. I think that's just crazy. Uh, here are a few f- final little tidbits. Uh, Sunday is the most popular day of the week to watch porn. I wonder why that is. I don't know. Is it, is it because we come and we feel like, oh, like I did, I did my good today, you know, and therefore I get a treat. I, I don't know what that is or, or why we do that. Uh, this one is also baffling to me. Uh, Thanksgiving is the most popular day of the year to watch pornography. And I go, well, why is that? I don't know. Maybe it's because it's all the tryptophan, the sleepiness, the football, the alcohol, all that combined. I don't know what it is. But we go, okay, like, happy me. And, and we watch and that this is just the, the medium-scale stuff. Like, it doesn't even go into, we don't even have time to talk about the, the world issue of sex trafficking and how big and how dangerous and powerful that industry is. And yet, if we were to come back um, from the large and macro scale back to the pornography and all the way down to the micro scale, Jesus says it all starts and it's rooted in the glance that I have that lingers a little too long at the person that I see in public or the app on my phone or whatever it is, it starts right there. That's the world that we live in. And I am convinced that this is one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful tool that Satan has in his tool belt right now because it's secretive and it's seductive. And at the core, it just it pushes me to make life all about me. And the reality is I don't have to tell anybody about it. I don't have to let anybody in on that because I'm not doing any damage to myself or anybody else. And that's what Satan wants us to believe. And so at the end, we go, we are convinced that it's okay to live inside of the gray. And this is where Jesus takes a hard stance on this. Look at verses 29 and 30. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Okay, so here's the deal. Like before, before anybody like runs away and does anything drastic, let's just say, okay, this is hyperbole. We know that this isn't true because there's no surgery that can remove this from us, right? If I remove my eyes or my hands, right, there's still lust in my heart, and that's the point. Jesus is saying, I understand that this doesn't fix it, but I also understand, I think this is what he's telling us, is that we have this tendency to underestimate lust. We underestimate sin, and so what he's saying is don't underestimate your response. Take great action, in, in that line, uh, in this verse where it says, causes us to sin, uh, it literally means a stumbling block. So if I'm walking a- along a road and I, and I bump into a rock, right? Like, well, I, what do I do? I take the rock and I move it because that's the stumbling block. But here it's a metaphor, right? Remove the stumbling blocks from your life. 
I've been reading this, uh, this book a lot with, with Eden. I don't know what year this is from. I think this is from when I was a kid. It's called Frog and Toad Together. Does anybody know this? Yeah, a few of you. Great, great. Good. There's a story in here about when Toad makes some cookies. And Toad brings these cookies over to his friend Frog. And he goes, Frog, man, these are the best cookies I have ever had. You've got to have these cookies. And so Frog tries them. And he goes, yes, these are the best cookies I've ever had. Applause, applause, applause. They keep eating. They keep eating. They keep eating. They keep eating. And eventually, Frog says, we should really stop eating. We should stop eating these cookies. What we need is some willpower. Toad's like, what's that? <laughs> what's willpower? So what does is, what is, what is Frog do? He gets out a box and he says, well, let's put these cookies in a box and let's put them away. And Toad comes back and says, yes, Frog, but, but we could just open the box and then eat the cookies. He goes, okay, fair point. So he takes the box and he, he ties it in a knot. And he says, well, there, now we won't eat the cookies. And Toad says, yes, Frog, but we could just cut the string with the scissors and then open the box and then eat the cookies. Frog says, okay, great. So he gets out a ladder and he takes it up and he puts it on the top shelf and he says, there, now we won't eat the cookies. And Toad says, yes, Frog, but if you could follow my arguments here, all we have to do is get a ladder, we climb the ladder, we grab the box, we cut the string, we open the box, we eat the cookies. And we keep going, we keep going. And so Frog's like, fine, okay, here's the deal. He takes them outside, he opens up the box and he says, here, birds. All the birds come, they eat the cookies. Stumbling block removed. Right? That's the type of action that we're talking about. But this thing, this is lust inside of us. This is really dangerous, right? The lust is still there. So just because we remove the stomach blocks doesn't mean that it's removed. You know what Toad's response is? The story's not over. He says, yeah, frog, you can do that. That's fine, but I'm going to go home and bake a cake. I'm going to keep indulging. I, I, it doesn't matter if I remove it. I'm going to keep indulging over and over and over. And Jesus in our text says, if we do that, it will lead us to a very dangerous place, and it's the word called hell. Now, I want to explain that because I think that's really important. The word for hell in, in this text is the word Gehenna. Now, in, in Israel, or in, in Jerusalem, the valley to the east was called the Kidron Valley, and the valley to the south and the west was called the Hinnom Valley. Gehenna, that word comes from Hinnom. And it's because back in the Old Testament, there were some really naughty kings who set up sacrifices outside the city walls to offer these, these pagan sacrifices to bad gods. Well, along comes this guy named Josiah. He basically shuts it all down. He says, that's not good. But he condemns this place called Gehenna. And since then, it becomes this burning refuse place where they toss the, the dead carcasses of animals and, and all of the trash from the city. And it's this constant putrid and burning and, and gross area. And it's no wonder, it's, it's why it eventually became the symbol for, for the end times, the separation from God. Because here's why, I want to point out two things. It's outside the city walls. It's separated from community. It's separated from God himself. It's separated from our loved ones. It's separated from all that. So there's isolation. But it's also a place of judgment and condemned. Right? It's, it's this place where I reap the benefits of the life that I chose to live. And so when Jesus in this space, he says this sin can ultimately at its worst lead you to a place where you're in total separation from God. But at the very least, we know that I believe that once I am saved, I am permanently saved. And if I believe that that's true, even if I choose to live in the gray, 
In that area, I will, I will reap a hellish lifestyle because I will live in isolation. I will live in guilt. I will live in grief. I will live outside of appropriate relationships. And Jesus says, that's not a good place to be. I don't want you there. Living in the gray in that space is not okay. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And so ultimately, he's pointing himself back He's pointing all of us back to himself, the, to salvation on the cross, right? There is no surgery that can remove this. Oh, but there is salvation. And that's what Jesus points them back to him. He says, I am the solution to your sin. And once you are saved, I believe you are saved, and there's nothing that you can ever do to make me love you more. There's nothing that you can ever do to make me love you less. But if you choose to live in the gray, you won't feel that way because you're gonna be living outside of the walls. And that's where Jesus says, but I tell you. So yes, he's the solution to our sin, but he's the model to follow. But I tell you, this is how I want you to live life. I want you to relearn how to ride the bike. And it requires opening up some doors that we wouldn't normally otherwise open. And this feels backwards. And so this is, again, just this point, when it comes to sin, living in the gray is not okay for Jesus. He doesn't want us to live in that. He doesn't want us to walk in that life. So yes, there's grace and forgiveness, but it's not good for us. It's not good for us to be in that. So here at Salem, we want to be a church who struggles well. We want to be a, a, a group of people who point ourselves at any given moment to the cross and remind ourselves of the grace and forgiveness that exists here, but, but we also want to be able to point others to the cross. And so to struggle well, I, I, just want, to, I want to invite four questions for you this morning. What are, what are your, tempta your temptations in life? What, what are those areas that, they, and it's different for different people. Sometimes they're odd, and sometimes it's just the way that our stories work and these different triggers that, that Satan has wired into our stories. And so what are your temptations? And then go, okay, what are my stumbling blocks? What are the things that I need to remove or take out of my life? Here's another question. Who knows about those struggles? Who are you inviting into those struggles? And this last one is kind of more of a challenge. This is more of a vision almost. Like what if, what if we were a church that instead of being okay with the secretive and the seductive things that, that are there, what if we ran to the light? What if we weren't okay allowing it to be dark? What if we ran to light and we shared these things with people knowing that, that the light, the grace and the forgiveness of the cross covers all of that? but just to name it. So we've been talking about halakha, which is Jesus' way of teaching his disciples, reteaching his disciples how to ride the bike or how to walk. And so my encouragement this morning is would you take one step, if even tiny, a tiny, small step in either naming the sin, whether it's with God or your spouse or with some friends or, or, or maybe... It's the idea of just talking to somebody about your stumbling blocks or inviting people into your story. These are these things that are so painful, so hard, and it feels backwards, but yet Jesus says, guys, this is what's good, and this is the life that I want you to be in. Let's pray. Father, I just, I come to you this morning in light of the cross. Like, I, even my own story, and just knowing how Satan has used this in my past. And so, Lord, we just, we just come, and we, we remember that, that Jesus, you died on the cross, and, and you were buried, and, and you rose again.
and that there is grace and forgiveness, that is a permanent identity for us. That when you look at us, you don't see guilt, you don't see sin, you don't see that stuff. I mean, what you see is Jesus in his perfection, and you go, that's who we are. And yet, I know, God, that, that you want something greater for us as we walk in this life, that, that, we, that we would get to flourish in this new kingdom that you are building, that we would flourish in our relationship with you, that we would flourish in our relationship with others, and that we would flourish in relationship with the world in such a way that it, that it becomes a salt and light to the people that we are around, and that people would see how transformative and how good and how awesome your gospel message is. And so, Lord, make us that people. May we take one step this morning. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.